Welcome to the Future of Consumer and Retail podcast by SAP. In this episode, we're offering event highlights from the RCC Store 21 event, Canada's biggest retail event of the year. Our goal is to bring you a concise summary so that you can keep a pulse on the leading trends for the retail industry. I'm Evan Bowler, here with my colleagues Tim Hood and Matthew Gardner, all of us a part of SAP's retail advisory practice. Stay tuned for highlights from interviews with leading executives from companies like Walmart, Lowe's, Best Buy, Google, SAP, and more. Tim, I'm going to pass it over to you first. Can you give us your overall impressions of the event? Well, it was really a great event. There was a wide variety of speakers from many name brand companies. And certainly I appreciate the Canadian perspective as a Canadian myself. It's always interesting to get that Canadian dimension because we have some uniqueness in our business. I also appreciated getting to speak during the sessions and really thought this was a great effort to put together a great event in the tough times that we live in. Evan, I know you attended the opening session. What did you think about the Future of Work session with Walmart Canada? Thanks, Tim. I thought that session really set the stage for an amazing event. Nabila went into how she joined Walmart about a year and a half ago, which was pretty much smack dab in the middle of the pandemic, and how the organization was just so exhausted from the constant change. Health and regulatory, working with a leaner workforce, stores opening and closing. She really wanted to help the organization reset and expand on workforce wellness. At Walmart, they call this the We Care Culture. It's really about empowering the workforce, refreshing their employees to perform their best when they feel their best. Access to things like mental wellness tools, meditation practices, and how the organization really wanted to provide small, actionable steps that their employees could easily implement into their daily lives. The two mantras that Walmart is building this program out with, I thought were really fantastic. The first one, there is no trade-off between well-being and growth, but rather Walmart seeing well-being being the catalyst for growth within their organization and their workforce. The second mantra was organizational resilience, started with individual resilience. The way that they are kindling that within their workforce starts with those micro steps and the organization focusing on personal wellness as a whole. I thought this was a great message and a great way to kick off the event, especially given the tough times that everyone's had the last two years. Tim, I'm going to throw it back to you. You mentioned that you attended another session on leadership and culture. Any takeaways from that session and anything resonate with this one from Walmart? Yeah, I saw a really great session from Hubert Jolie. I have to practice that name as a French name. He's the ex-CEO and chairman of Best Buy and, of course, another major brand like Walmart. He talked about his journey from when he started at Best Buy until the time he retired just a short number of years ago, and I think it was around 15 years. And it was really interesting because a lot of what he talked around was around culture and how culture is the way that they became successful or turned the business around. If you can set the people in the right direction, the results will follow. There was quite a few interesting concepts. I picked a few jewels out that I really thought were very interesting. One was he he talked about when he first came in to Best Buy and had to spend a a few months just trying to understand the business and really get his, his head around what the challenges were. If you think back, Amazon was the perceived threat for companies like Best Buy. They were going to eat their lunch. But what he realized was most of their problems were self inflicted. The challenges were coming from within, the solutions can come from within. Another thing he said, being a leader is not about being the smartest person in the room, but creating the environment to capture the collective brain power and the heart power of the team. He stated two concepts that are commonly accepted, but actually just don't work. 
the one was shareholder supremacy and the other being top-down, I think he said scientific leadership, both meaning that there are significant stakeholders inside your company that really should be the focus of how you're going to be successful. And really everything comes from that. He actually had a little story about a child coming in with a broken dinosaur. The essence of the story was really, you can't create a standard operating procedure for all scenarios. What you have to do is create a culture, and then your people will know what to do in all the series. The culture will tell them what to do. It won't be an operating procedure. It won't be a process that's documented in a manual. And then finally, he talked a lot about unleashing human magic, which I thought was just a, a kind of a nice phrase. Yeah, Tim, I'm with you. I really appreciated the moderator asking him specifically his largest challenge around when he was diving into the business. And he said it was about bringing more heart to the business. I was really impressed by the humanness he himself was accessing to be able to infuse the culture with a certain perspective that really had people be seen and heard and aligned the dreams of individual contributors to the mission of the company itself. Matt, I really was impressed with his focus on the employees and the associates as the heart of the business uh, and really trying to create a culture and create an environment where individuals can thrive and out of that success will follow. Thanks, Tim and Matt, for the great insights and sounds like some amazing sessions. Matt, I'm going to throw it over to you for a little bit. Just looking at the agenda, it looks like there were a number of sessions that talked about ongoing industry trends particularly as the COVID pandemic continues to disrupt the retail industry and evolve consumer behavior. Any particularly impactful sessions and what were your takeaways? Thanks, Evan. There were two that really stood out to me. The first one was with Google Canada and them, of course, being able to look at their search trends and discovering that this isn't about returning to normal. It's about preparing for the new normal. So I'll go through these five trends they had, which some of them are pretty obvious, but interesting to see the surge that's happening. Trend number one is this uplift in e-commerce. Even some older generations are having to use digital as an option. And now that they've learned those behaviors, it's something that has become much more familiar to them and something they can use consistently going forward. A second trend was consumers wanting more categories online. A lot has been done in the supply chains, allowing for larger objects or objects that just wouldn't seem to be compatible with a digital channel to actually be facilitated. The third trend was about more choices and that shoppers are more undecided than ever. And being able to have those choices readily available is key to a lot of retailers offering what consumers are looking for and getting a larger share of wallet. Trend number four was shopping our values customers needing to align with the values of the companies that we're shopping from, and that becoming an important piece to take into account. And the fifth trend, moving from buying to shopping. The buying experience is more entertaining and more inspiring than it's ever been. And this we see in trends like discovery commerce and these inspirational approaches to shopping. The other big session that I'll mention here was on how to compete and win in a post-COVID world. And KPMG, one of the big consulting firms, had done research to see the six drivers of consumption, and they said that this actually accounts for 98% of all purchase decisions. The first is value. And of course, this is price and value for money. So it's not always about the lowest price, but what is the value being achieved from the thing that is being purchased? The next is convenience, and digital shopping is the utmost component. 
They talked about the concept of proximity shopping and, and tertiary locations where things are closer to the end consumer, allowing them to have the experience of shopping from a generic shopping page anywhere they might happen to be, but that, of course, the delivery can be so fast because fulfillment is near them. The next is an experience, and seeing these advances in live streaming pickers allowing for a direct selection of produce, seafood, and meats so that the buyer can actually have control of the exact cut that's being selected. The next is choice, and that physical locations will reduce 30% as more choice moves online. And the final two here, purpose, which is around reputation and values. And the final being privacy and safety earning the trust of the consumer so that they become loyal in their shopping trends with a particular retailer. Matt, that's very interesting because trust was one of the concepts that started another session with PayPal and SoftMock around driving revenue through customer engagement. And of course, at the base of customer engagement is trust, right? If the customers don't trust you, there's going to be a limit to their engagement. PayPal is one of the more trusted brands. I know personally I use PayPal when I don't trust the website that I'm on. I, I trust PayPal to protect me rather than the website. Jeff, who was the SoftMock CFO, had a few key concepts that he wanted to talk about around customer engagement. And the first concept was the three R's of engagement, reach, retention, and revenue. I, I kind of laugh because, you know, as a CFO, he has to have revenue in there. Another interesting concept that he talked about, you really need to interact with the customers you have and not just the ones you want, because we know that, yes, we have to acquire new customers, but we can't do that at the cost of losing the ones we have. We talk about discounts for new customers, but what about me? I've been here for years, right? So the key focus has to be on the ones you have and developing them into what I like to call brand advocates. That's the ultimate objective of, of an engaged customer. And finally, what he concluded was the most impactful result of a successful engagement was data. Engaged customers provide you much better data and many more data points. And of course, a successful engagement will engender loyalty. And we know that highly engaged, loyal customers spend more and generate higher margins. Tim, some of your comments about the SoftMock CFO and his sentiments around building customer loyalty and retention really leads perfectly into what I thought was one of the best sessions that I attended. This session was all about the value of engagement and personalizing that engagement and the loyalty that it creates, hosted by marketing executives from Calgary Co-op. London Drugs, and Save on Foods, established regionally focused retailers in the Canadian market. The amount of customer data that they've been able to build over the years has really granted their organizations an ability to intimately understand their customers and really tailor their products, offerings, and experiences in the store. But how do you take it to the next level? It was really interesting to hear the executive from Savon talk about how their brand is trying to replicate that great personalized store experience. He talked about how they're pursuing this concept of emotional marketing, which really goes deeper than personalizing the products and offerings that they're giving to their customers online, but reaching out around maybe important holidays. Maybe it's connecting with a customer on a particular hobby or charitable interest even reaching out with offers that may be relevant to family and friends. I thought this concept of emotional marketing was really awesome, and the rest of the executives definitely agreed that this was going to be a part of their brand's ability to build customer value digitally moving forward. The last point that I found particularly impactful was who within the organization is really responsible for bringing this personalization and customization to life. 
And this gets back to the point that Tim was making earlier when he was talking about the culture creation at Best Buy. It was extremely powerful to hear these marketing executives really underscore how the customer journey hinges on every strategic decision that the business makes. It's not just a sole marketing function. Every part of the business has to be on the same page. From finance, supply chain, HR, and store operations, everyone within the organization has to be committed to delivering that level of customer experience. That actually highlights a session I saw, and I I thought this was interesting. The event actually brought in a leading home improvement and lifestyle retailer from Australia, and they've been voted Australia's most trusted retail brand for the last 16 years in a row. Similar to what you just shared, they had a lot of strategies of ways of deepening their relationship with the customer. And this included doing things in communities where they'll have barbecues on weekends and make sure that the local store is aligned very much to the culture of that location. And all of this really was culminating into something where in order to stay relevant and to maintain that awarded status has required them to have these careful ways of maintaining culture maintaining productivity, and then using that as a foundation to be able to change at a much faster rate than they generally would otherwise feel comfortable. You know, Matt, I saw a session that continued on this concept of understanding your customers and really getting engaged with them. So this session was from GoEasy, which is a consumer financial service provider in Canada. While the outcome was looking at consumer change, they were really focused on data. So one of the key concepts that they put out, which I think is relevant for everyone, focus on lifetime value not about the transaction. It's not about what can I drive this quarter, which I know we have demands to meet quarterly objectives, but really the long-term success is going to be focusing on lifetime value. And of course, the outcome of all of the discussions we've had around engagements and loyalty is a lifetime customer. They talked about when they introduced a new product line, they had to redefine their customer segments. For many of us, customer segments are the bedrock that we use to analyze all of our customer data. So it was interesting to look at that and say, no, we actually are redefining our segments. What also was interesting for me was to find out that the available data sources that they were using, which were both from web traffic as well as mobility traffic from mobile phone geolocation and and where those phones were going, that path as well as the current location, was that those data sources are extremely targeted. They mentioned that they were at the six-digit postcode level. So for me, and I live in the country, that is just a few houses. That's extreme precision in the data. It doesn't have names on it, but the the data they can get is extremely precise. So they talked a lot about what they did for their business, but what I took away is more sort of concepts that are applicable across all of our retail businesses. And really this concept that leveraging data is a journey and there is no end. There's a test and learn mentality. We all have done A-B testing on webs, but this idea of trying experiments, seeing the results, building on the results, all that leads to what they described as adopting a culture of data. So again, we come back to this concept of culture and pervasiveness. Thanks, Tim. Those comments lead perfectly into a session that I saw with Walmart and Facebook on Wednesday. Walmart is definitely no stranger to building out a pervasive culture of data, and their organization has been able to differentiate themselves through their ability to use their immense amount of customer data to drive new innovative practices for the business. The executive went on to describe the Walmart Connect program as a marketing and retail data services platform. It's enabling Walmart to not only gain a new revenue stream from data that they've collected, but also allows them to drive deeper upstream connections with their trade partnerships in the CPG space. 
differentiating the organization's ability to not just engage in mutually shared growth with their partners, but deepening their customer insights and opening up opportunities to drive a more consistent digital engagement with the end customer. He ended the session by unpacking this idea that in the future, a retailer's ability to tap into the power of their trade partnerships, where organizations are combining the power of their insights to build an ecosystem around their customers, is going to be key to providing those personalized and transparent experiences that our customers have grown to demand. That's great, Evan. We've talked a lot about the many lines of business within a retail, but we haven't touched on supply chain yet. So maybe we'll talk about developing a flexible first approach within supply chain. And the presenter was Orchard, a B2B private label beauty supplier that supplies many of the Canadian brands. Supply chain is one of the areas that have had significant challenges in the last 18 months. And the words resilience and agility are thrown around a lot. But the words are not interchangeable, and they have fundamentally different implications and results. First, when we talk about agility, it's not just doing the same thing faster. We all know the saying, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over again and expecting a different result. Agility is being able to adjust your path, move quickly on, test, adjust, move on. Clearly a key quality that we all need to have in many parts of our business, but in supply chain, that's critical. Second is resiliency. The concept of having alternative plans prepared. It's not just enough to have the plans. You actually have to practice them because when it comes time to use them, it's not good enough just to fumble through the first try. You really do have to practice these alternative plans. The key supply chain challenges of the last 18 months is not just variability in supply, and we all experienced that, but there was also a great variability in demand. So it became a much more significant challenge to try and match that demand and supply and not get left with excess inventory in one location and big gaps in inventory in another location. Similarly, as we have moved online more and more, returns have become a much more significant problem. And it's not just the logistics, but it is sustainability and circularity. We have to figure out how not to make things just end up in a landfill. But of course, circularity starts at design and sourcing raw material. It can't be addressed at the end. So it does take an ecosystem. It does take your consumer products partners working with you to get this concept of circularity in place. Speaking of ecosystem, I caught the session with IKEA where they are talking about turning their business into a circular hub and just this concept like you're talking about with partners in the the larger supply chain. IKEA always has had a very impressive way of linking everything together in a platform for their own business. And one of the unique features they're starting to add now is what they're calling a second life of our furniture. And they're actively working with circularity in their own store to prolong the product life by repacking, recycling, and reselling. And even offering community workshops and selections of great finds that are things that would have otherwise likely become waste or ended up in a secondary market without their name as closely attached. But they obviously can pull the best of anything that's already been used that, of course, still has life left in it and bring it back in a way that wastes less resources, that has a positive climate impact and really balances the overall vision for the company. In the spirit of this, they also produced an ebook with 10 chefs to offer 50 recipes using food scraps to give you options to start thinking in this way of reuse in your own home. And that level of integration and culture, I thought was just so beautiful to show company value echoing out into their customer base where they're both following these strategies in their business and offering ways that consumers can do the same in their own lives. The session with IKEA definitely sounds like a good one, and it's really making me hungry right now for some of their famous Swedish meatballs. 
Oh, that reminds me, Evan. They actually talked about having plant-based meatballs as well. They're trying to give variety. And apparently the plant-based meatball actually makes it so they can cut their carbon footprint a bit, working very carefully with chefs to make it taste just as good. That sounds great. Thanks, Matt. Just looking at the time and seeing that we're running up to the end of the show here, I just want to thank you both for joining me today and recapping a great Store 21 event sponsored by the Retail Council of Canada. Well, I'll take any meatballs I can get. Thank you both for a great session. And thank you, RCC, for putting on a great show. Yeah, thank you, Tim. And thank you, Evan. This was really great to explore this event together. Well, thank you, Retail Council of Canada, for putting on such a great show. And thank you to all of our great listeners for joining us today. I'd invite you all to take a look at the event site for RCC Store 21 if you're interested in viewing any of the recorded content that we discussed here today. I'd also invite you to check out our podcast content around the most recent retail industry events and trends. We hope you have a great day and week, and we will catch you on the next episode.